This is the Kibasa King Sports Extravaganza. Hey, 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 Yakshamash. Club to you too, or whatever. You know, really, I love your style. I love the way you edit things together. Well, thanks for noticing. It's a real pain. We welcome to the show Christian Leitner. Yeah, I'm proud of my heritage, and my mother used to make a lot of delicious meals capusta, bumpy, padoe, all that good stuff. I put sour cream on everything, and um, so a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of Polish tradition there. Welcome, everybody, to the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza, of course, brought to you by Brent College Pads, a proud part of Bucky's fifth quarter. This is Jay Kokorowski. We got the Polish rifle, Scott Wisniewski, tonight. Welcome, everybody. Thank you all for listening live and through the podcast for last night's National Signing Day extravaganza that we have here. Uh, and, and thank you guys again. Uh, great turnout. Big thanks, of course, to... Ben Wargo from Badger Nation and all of our assistant coaches uh, that were on the show for the Wisconsin Badgers, having, of course, uh, Durante Jones, Ted Gilmore, who we spoke to in the press conference yesterday afternoon. So thank you all. And coming out right now, Wisconsin Badgers, you guys are probably just tuning in where you heard Wisconsin Badgers defeat the Ohio State Buckeyes. Not the, not, I would say, the cleanest to win 79-68 the the Ohio State during the moments uh, kept clawing their way back in sometimes within three sometimes within two uh, after the Badgers would put up a run and be up 12 and the free throw shooting uh, looking you know 10-17 is not good for the Badgers at one point I believe they're three of nine four of 11 uh, not the cleanest win but a win nonetheless for the Badgers who continue their their winning ways and trying to claw their way back up into the NCAA tournament talk. And uh, they still got a ways to go, especially with that really rough schedule coming up uh, with, with some away games against some of the Big Ten's best. So we'll see how they they do there. But, uh, you know, Scotty, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about the Badgers uh, in, in just a little bit. Uh, real quick stats, though, uh, Nigel Hayes uh, comes off 20, you know, uh, some good free throws at the end. 21 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists for the Badgers. So you had 4 Badgers in double figures. Uh, Ethan Happ, 12 points, 5 rebounds. Uh, Vito Brown started off hot, 12 points, 5 rebounds as well. Uh, with Bronson Koenig, 13 points off of 4 and 9 shooting, 3 of 7 from behind the arc. Switching gears, we'll talk right now. Obviously, we had National Signing Day talk a bunch of football. Uh, two former Badgers themselves, Brad Nortman, punter for the Carolina Panthers, Owen Daniels, who had a huge AFC championship game uh, with two touchdown catches for the Denver Broncos, set to meet in the Super Bowl 50 over in Santa Clara, California. Should be a really yeah. intriguing matchup. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm fairly certain, uh, although Owen Daniels could surprise us, I'm fairly certain none of those two players you mentioned will – be in the running for a Super Bowl MVP. Uh, hey, Norman can pull going, out that fake punt, man. Norman can pull off a fake punt like nothing yeah. else. Certainly. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it, 
for some reason, obviously we're into it. Works. I am. I'm an NFL guy, um, but um, it, it seems that this Super Bowl hype week or hype two weeks has been more subdued. I guess is that a, a little bit more tame, even with the whole new opening night party that they that they had on the NFL Network. Um. There, there doesn't seem to be a lot of buzz around this game other than where it relates to the quarterbacks. Obviously, with the quarterbacks, um, it's it's something that's being talked about. The Peyton Manning, could this be his last game? Will he end up with the Rams? Can he be playing in his fourth Super Bowl uh, with his fourth different coach? Um, who's uh, who, What about Cam Newton? Is, has he, is he just... Is he cocky? Is he too cocky? Is he the heir apparent? Is he going to do? Is he the next elite quarterback? It seems to really center around the quarterback, but there's a lot of other players to watch in this game. In addition to the both defenses that are very good, Denver is being one of the best. Um, I still feel that quarterback play will be the difference in the game, and I think that Cam Newton right now is the better player and the better quarterback, even though he's playing the better defense. And I still like Carolina, although I think it's going to be a uh, a better game than I think people are, are – are, some of the pundits and some of the betters and some of the people running the Vegas uh, feel it's going to be because a lot of, uh, a lot of those folks – I mean, early money was on uh, Carolina and the line actually bolstered – now I think it's a six-point line. I think a four-point, three-point game, I, just, I think it's going to be fun. And you know how it is. I don't necessarily ever have a rooting interest outside, of course, if the Packers are playing or, or whatever, um, more so than I just want it to be a good game. I mean, we grew up, I grew up, I'm a little older than you are, Jake. I grew up in an era where there were some really bad Super Bowls in the 80s, the NFC dominance and some ugly games, you know, 55-6 to six and games like that where, you know, the Super Bowl for a little while wasn't fun when I was a teenager and trying to watch game as it was bad enough that the Packers stunk during that era and then the Super Bowls were nothing to watch. So we've been spoiled lately. We've had some great games over the last fifteen, twenty years for the most part. A couple of clunkers in there, but some pretty good games all the way around. And all I ever root for for this is a good game, compelling, tell a story. Um you know, again, the stories are, are the quarterback stories are already there. Peyton Manning, does he go out in a in a in a, uh, a blaze of glory, or does he fizzle away? Cam Newton, does he cement his MVP season that he's likely to win, and uh, show everybody he's the next elite quarterback, the next guy to, to take Manning's place as Manning leaves the limelight, and then comes another superstar? Um, who's the unsung hero going to be? Who's the guy? Will it be a Greg Olson? Will it be a Ronnie Hillman? Will it be a Will it be an Owen Daniel? Will it be a Jonathan Stewart? Will it be one of those guys who takes the 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 the, the ball, the brass ring, and runs with it and and says, "Look, hey, don't forget about us." You know, will it be a defensive guy? Will it be a Luke Keekley? Uh, who you know? So that's what I I want a story. I want a story to be told, and uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. And the game, just for people that don't know, of course, well, obviously, most of you should. It's Sunday. 5:30 p.m. Central Standard Time, uh, 6:30 Eastern, uh, and it's at you know Levi Stadium, Santa Clara, California. It will be on CBS for 
Uh, it'll also be on ESPN Deportes, and 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 you know, it. I'll say it's. Uh, I, I'm intrigued to see. I mean, obviously the matchups. Cam Newton versus that big defense, like you mentioned, it is in, in the storylines with that. I mean, personally, I like Cam Newton. I, I really do. I think as a player, uh, he the confidence with him. He's a leader on that team, and it's uh, he's going up against an elite defense. And you know, it, it, the Broncos are going to have to uh, deal with the fact that you have Cam Newton, but then Ted Ginn Jr. and Greg Olson, uh, the tight end, who might be, I mean, how, let me ask you this, Scotty. How many Bears fans are kicking themselves uh, for how the Panthers are just utilizing Greg Olson compared to how Mike Martz might have done down in, in Chicago during his time as offensive well, coordinator? It, you know, I mean, he's a he, he's one of the best NFL tight ends. Uh, okay. You know. He is. But, but let me tell you this before I get to that. No disrespect for Ted Ginn, but the Ted Ginn and the Jericho Cotteries and the Philly Browns of the world, I think it really shows you that aside from Greg Olson, there there isn't a real threat on that team, and yet Cam Newton threw for almost 4,000 yards. Isn't that something when you lose your number one receiver? You lose your number one receiver, and they're in the Super Bowl nearly undefeated during the regular season. That's mind-boggling. Yeah, I think it says a lot about the season Cam Newton had. And again, I've said it before, I don't like the cockiness. I think it's a little bit more than confidence. But I'm consistent. I don't like cockiness. But I like him as a player. Man, is he good. And you know what? I saw it a couple of years ago when he showed some flashes and people were like, well, is he for real? Is he? No, he's for real, man. Like, you know, he's a dual threat guy, but he's got the arm to back it up. And like I said, great quarterbacks make average receivers look better. He made Ted Ginn look better. He made uh, Jer- an old Jericho Cotri look better. He, you know, some of the other guys. You know, they have Funches, the rookie, who started to come on on the end. But he made those guys look better. And I like Greg Olson. But in some ways, you know, Greg Olson was good. He had potential at the Bears. Maybe Cam Newton was making Greg Olson look better. Uh, you know, I mean. Yeah, I can. But I like I, Greg I, I Olson. What do you mean? But you know what I mean. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not taking anything away from the season Greg Olson had, but how much of that is because Cam Newton's finding ways to to throw him open or, or utilize him the way he should have been utilized? I, I, I mean, if Cam Newton's not the MVP, it would be a shock because how, how could you not? I mean, you could have made a case for Russell Wilson because of the second half he had, but he had a really slow first half. Tom Brady, sure, but Tom Brady had a Tom Brady year, but he didn't have – the superstar best Tom Brady year. You, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it was a good year, but it wasn't a, a an elite year like the one Cam Newton had. Yeah, in by all means, like I said, I, I, yeah, if Cam Newton doesn't win the MVP honors, I, yeah, it's, that'd be something. Uh, on the opposite side, someone that has won NFL MVP honors and – what appears to me he's in his swan, swan song, the twilight of his career, you have Peyton Manning. And he, obviously it's kind of the his, one of his last runs. It's, it's kind of parallels, uh, though not at the same level, obviously, John Elway, because Manning's already won one Super Bowl with the Indianapolis Colts. But you have the fact yeah. he's going out. This is probably his last year. I mean, I think the Sporting News actually had a, sort, had a report earlier this week. And... This is his final, probably his final hurrah. And with the receivers that he, they have on the Broncos going up against the defensive backs of the Panthers and the defense for that matter. Uh, and it, it, 
I'm wondering how Manning and also the team. I mean, that, that intangible of of trying to win one for Manning before he, you know, before as a Bronco in his last, possibly his last game. It's. I wonder how that intangible is going to play out, Scotty. Well, you know, I, I don't want to take emotion out of it. Don't get me wrong, but I think even the players on Carolina, the younger players, realize that nothing's guaranteed, man. Like. How many, other than, you know, the Patriots being somewhat of a dynasty, how many great teams did we see over the course of the last 15 years win a Super Bowl and then not go back? You know, I think that Carolina, I think those players would be wise to not take this for granted because this could be, you know, statistically you wouldn't think so, but this could be their only chance to win one. So even though everybody wants to win one for Manning, Manning's won one, Okay. Cam Newton hasn't won one yet. Greg Olson hasn't won one yet. Uh, Luke Keekley hasn't won one yet. There's just as many guys on that Carolina team, even though some of them are younger, some of them are a little bit older in age, you know, Jared Allen and whatnot. But they want to win just as bad. Um, the difference, too, is, you know, you talk about the comparisons to John Elway. And, and yes, you know, John Elway won two on his way out, including one against Green Bay where the Packers just basically – Took uh, took the the week off as a vacation and not and not a working whatever. Elway was still better at this point. Peyton Manning had a terrible year until he got into that playoff game and he he got into a nice playoff. He had nine touchdowns and seventeen picks and he looked abysmal for most of the season when he was healthy. Okay, Elway, he transitioned his game into more of a running game with Terrell Davis, and, and Terrell Davis is really the reason why I think they won those Super Bowls. But Elway was still a weapon. Elway could still win you games when he had to. Last year, for most of the year, Peyton Manning couldn't do that. I, he, I don't think Peyton Manning wins you games this year, or you know, or the Super Bowl. I think if they win the Super Bowl, it's because the defense steps up, I think it's because his receivers step up and they get a contribution from the running game. I don't think they win the Super Bowl. And, you know, let, let him prove me wrong because great, great players always seem to prove the naysayers wrong. But I don't think if Denver wins, it's because Peyton Manning put them on his back. I just, I just don't see that being the way that would play out. Yeah, and I, just, I think the Panthers have proven, especially when – I think you and I both picked, if I'm not mistaken, the Seahawks to to win in Carolina, just, uh, based off of the experience the the Seahawks had, and also uh, the the numbers and, and the resurgence in that offense. And in Carolina, granted, it was only, at the end of the game, it was only a, a seven t- uh, seven point win uh, after going, but they went up 31 nothing and stuff to tell the rest of the game. Uh, and and so I'm wondering, you know, I think Carolina wins, but I also Wonder if they keep that streak where they they have that you know they go up big, and you saw what they did against Arizona in the NFC Championship game. Uh, what you know if they start hot and and, and how they progress from there, and I, uh, well, I you know, well they've been a hot starting team all year. I mean yeah, think about it. They, they started hot even in the game they played against the Packers. I you know they've been that team all year. Um, so. If anything, if I were betting it or doing prop bets or whatever they do, because it's the biggest sports betting uh, time of the year, game of the year, but if that's the case, I think it it comes down to um, 
they, I would bet that Carolina would start a little bit hotter. That that's what I would I would bet they come out firing and they get an early lead. Uh, again, I, I like them to win the game, so that would probably make sense. But I just think that I could see it happening, but I also could see Denver making it a game. Uh, but it, it will be interesting. Um, again, like we said, you know, and you're going to hear all this analysis, and people are going to break down this game a hundred different ways between now and Sunday. Um, but again. I, I think Carolina's the more complete team. I think Denver's defense is better. I think Carolina's offense is better. And I think Carolina's depth is a little bit better from 1 through 53 on that roster. So, um, but again, I'm hoping for a good game. And, you know, if Carolina loses, I won't be upset. I don't have really, I'm not putting money on the game or anything. If Denver loses, I won't be upset. If the game is a stinker, I'll be upset and turn it off around halftime because I'm not really digging cold play anyway. So, um, so if it's 31 to nothing at halftime, I'm not sticking around for cold play. So, yeah, let, yeah, let uh, me – all right, so let's, let's, uh, we'll do our predictions at the end. But, yeah, let me – got to find this. There was something off of Pepsi that Chris Martin, the lead singer of Coldplay, had said. And I, I wanted – I was laughing hysterically because it might have been the stupidest thing I've ever seen – uh, okay, not stupidest, but it is pretty. Here it is. It says, "quote unquote." This is the greatest moment of our band's life. No, uh, I, I mean obviously, I'm sure they put that somewhere. Or he had that rehearsed, but no, like it, it's not. And I, you know, it, it, they had other bands they could have used. You know, they could have had uh, tributes even to obviously some fallen um, singers lately. I, I, I don't think they'd someone would cover Motorhead or anything with Lemmy, but you know, you have Glenn Fry with the Eagles. They, they could have done something where to pay some tribute there. There are other groups out there. Well, I am not looking forward to the halftime show. I, I, I agree with you, but most of those, those elite musicians died after they already, like, I mean, D- David Bowie and yeah. Glenn Fry, died after the calendar. It'd be kind of hard to like say, oh, let's book the Eagles and somebody. I, I, but I but to your point, there were other there were bands that were more um, how do I say it a little bit more relevant. Coldplay is still great, selling records and they're still winning Grammys and they're not over the hill. It's not like they're you know the Mamas and the Papas. And I know most listeners have no idea who that is and don't know what I just said. But <laughs> it's not like they're it's not like Coldplay is that irrelevant. But when you when when you think hip and trendy right now. We're not really thinking about Coldplay. I know, and it's uh, I don't know. I, I'm just wondering what they what else what else they could have done. That's uh, I mean, in terms of uh, I say uh, the rest of the weekend, real quick. When it comes to uh, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, isn't it the weekend where they'll figure out who the Hall of Fame uh, nominees are? Yeah, Is that that'll it? happen on Saturday. Yeah. yeah. So so I, I all. Signs point to Brett Favre being first ballot, correct? Uh, yeah, I I can't see a scenario where he isn't. Right, right. I'm just, yeah, and so that that'll be news for Packers fans. And I mean, yeah, after that, uh, you know, then it goes back and it goes into draft season, goes into the draft profile season, and it go yeah, I, it should be. It's weird, man. Like the rest, the whole season is uh, obviously it's a disappointment for for Packer fans who 
you know, many, including Vegas, thought were odds-on uh, favorites to win the Super Bowl, but come and gone, man. This is a fast. It was a. It seemed like a fast season at times. Obviously, when they, the Packers hit some roadblocks, wasn't necessarily uh, the greatest at times. But it's fast how a football season can go. Well, it's fast how a year can go when you hit our age. So I mean. <laughs> I think some of that's perspective. I mean, you know, I mean, it really is. It's one of the things I've said for years is not not turning 18 or turning 21. I think where you are in your life when it comes to having kids and, and that's it, like time really starts to fly and, and kind of unravel. And you got a busy, you know, house, busy home life, busy job. And the next thing you know, because I'm that way, and I, I don't just look at it on the NFL side, but I do. But I also look at it because I'm a big fantasy football guy, and I'm like, holy cow, it's our playoffs already. Like, it really just kind of comes at you. So, um, but, yeah, it, it certainly does fly by. and But it'll fly. But nowadays, it's a little different than it was, again, when we were growing up. Because nowadays, next thing you know, because of the combines and then the, the prelude to the draft and free agency and the draft and then mini camp which never got covered when we were in the 80s. I mean, minicamp, you know, that was never heard of. So the the time frame, that long period from the Super Bowl to the start of the preseason, isn't, it doesn't feel as long as it used to because there's so many things now that have been put into place to keep you focused on the NFL, keep you focused on the game, keep you focused on, you know, hey, look, we're still here. Look at what we're doing, you know, uh, like televising the combine and I mean all that stuff. So the the gap in between doesn't feel as long either because it's like oh before you know it, you know like I said we'll be talking draft stuff and um, you know the schedule then, then the big one the schedule gets released you know oh my gosh let's see so they 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 figured out a way to make sure that you never forget about them you so we we will never forget about. Um, the fact that football is uh, football is right around the corner, even after this game ends. So, um, yeah, and pro and, days and around the corner and spring football. Yeah, yeah. And there's added added things to it now too, with the relocation of the Rams, and now the Raiders are talking to Las Vegas. So there'll be those carrots of news that are going to keep popping up through the off season. So yeah, it's definitely. Definitely far from over, even though the season itself ends on Sunday. Absolutely, and uh, hopefully during the during the spring we'll have some talks with former former Badgers looking to make it into the NFL and and beyond and and whatnot as well. Uh, heading heading into the off season there. And on that note, uh, real quick, by the way, we'll have some audio that we can play a little later uh, talking with some assistant coaches from the Wisconsin Badgers. Scott, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We're going to talk some Milwaukee Brewers, uh, talk of the big trade that was put down sending Gene Segura to Arizona. For, uh, it looks like it's a pretty interesting trade. We'll get your thoughts on that. Uh, and uh, But before that, we have, we'll have uh, some fun uh, uh, minute 40 with special teams coach Chris Herring for the Wisconsin Badgers just kind of talking about Anthony Lotti, the punter out of Georgia, just talking about his uh, just talking about the opportunity Lotti will have as well as P.J. Brzezowski and Connor Allen uh, and then from there at the end of the show we'll play something with defensive coordinator Justin Wilcox that I had a chance to speak with him yesterday as well as um, tight ends coach Mickey Turner so here's 
special teams co- coordinator, special teams coach Chris Herring here on the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza brought to you by Rent College Pads. Yeah, you're looking at punter and you have Anthony Lotti had a chance to talk with him earlier this week. What did you see out of him with recruiting and yeah, what did you see with him coming out from West Hall in Georgia? Yeah, I think when you look at high school punters, sometimes they're pretty raw coming out of high school. But Anthony's dad, who's a coach, also kind of specializes in the punting and kicking aspects and. He's done a great job with Anthony. Anthony was a kid who came to our camp. We probably had over 100 punters come to the camp within two days. and He was the kid that we thought was the most consistent. He was the young man who we thought competed the best. When it was competition time, he performed. And then I think his tools kind of fit our system and vice versa. And, and that is, he's got a nice leg but he has that ability to hit those high hang times, and that fits pretty well with the kind of system that we like to use, which is the pro-punt system. And, and with that, uh, you have P.J. Rosowski on there, Connor Allen on the roster. Where do you see Anthony, uh, once he hit the summer to fall camp, do you see him start, you know, not starting, obviously, but competing? Right Absolutely, and, and we've told him that. Your goal is to come in and compete to be the, the starting punter. That should be your goal, and, and we're telling the other two guys that's their goal too. So we want to create that same competition, and through that competition and practice, you hope you find a guy that when you trot him out there week one is a kid that's confident and a kid that's ready to perform under pressure. Welcome back. Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza brought to you by uh, all proud part of Bucky's fifth quarter and brought to you by Brent College Pads. And we'd like to thank our presenting sponsor, Brent College Pads, for their support of the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Finding off-campus housing has always been a chore until now. Browns browse tons of properties on Brent College Pads today. They have all the best apartments and houses around campus in and around Madison, find your next place on Brent College Pads today. And so you guys heard from Chris Herring, obviously some fine thoughts on Oakwood, Georgia, punter Anthony Lottie. Thanks to Anthony Lottie again for speaking with us yesterday during our National Signing Day extravaganza. Transitioning now, uh, we'll talk more. Like I said, we'll have audio from defensive coordinator Justin Wilcox, as well as tight ends coach Mickey Turner coming up at the end of the show after we wrap things up. But we want to talk some baseball. Spring training is going to be right around the corner, obviously. 
I forgot how many days it is until opening day, Scotty, but it's getting up there. And the Brewers uh, pull off a trade before spring training, uh, a big trade, uh, was a five-man deal. Bad, uh, Brewers decide to deal, looking at this, you have, uh, they send Gene Segura along with Tyler Wagner down to Arizona for right-hander Chase Anderson, infielder Aaron Hill, and minor league shot, uh, shortstop Ison Diaz. And let me know your thoughts on this trade. Is this a good trade for the Brewers? And how much does this open up, an, you know, open up something for Orlando Arcia that that prospect at shortstop? Do you think they they call him up right away? No, 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 no. Let's let's back up. They, they will not call him up. Call him right away. He will fall uh, to the same fate as uh, Chris Bryant did last year, about being able to control the contract for an extra year. He will be up here this year. Opening day lineup is a little bit in flux because there. First of all, before I evaluate the trade, the biggest loser in this trade, uh, to me, uh, the person who's who's affected the most was Garen Ciccini, third baseman that was acquired from the Boston organization that I thought had a legitimate shot at being the starting third baseman this year. Aaron Hill will start at third base barring injury. Aaron Hill is here for the simple fact that they could net a prospect or two at the, at the all-star break or at the trade deadline if Aaron Hill plays well. He struggled the last couple of years, but he's had some good years. Okay, So in order to get anything from him, he has to play quite a bit. He will be the second highest paid player on a team that will have probably the lowest payroll in baseball. Um, that said, at shortstop, it would probably be Jonathan Villar to start, and then eventually Arcia will get called up and, and will uh, – uh, get some playing time in that position. There's a, there's a host of other middle infielders, um, Rivera and whatnot. The, the intriguing position to me is at center field, where, I, first of all, anybody who thinks, and I know they want to see his bat, but any, and this is why there's talk about trading Chris Davis, because anybody who thinks that Santana's a center fielder that has never, ever, ever watched a baseball game in their life. He played center after the trade. He basically played the no doubles position the whole time out there. Play as deep as you can and run in on everything and keep everything in front of you. He's not a center fielder. However, there are a couple of people on this roster who are center fielders. And and I'm not even talking about the rumored signing of Austin Jackson, which it probably isn't going to happen. But there's some really nice pickups that were made during the offseason. One of them is Reimer Liriano, who was claimed off favors by San Diego. Uh, a kid who was a, a top uh, prospect at one point. He's only 22, 22 years old. Um, I'm sorry, 24 years old. He's, he's a youngster yet. Um, but if you look at his minor league stats, you know, he only has 109 major league at-bats. and you know, He had 220. But if you look at his stats in the minors, he's a guy that could get on base. He's got some speed. He's a guy that's going to be trying to, to prove that he deserves a shot to play. Another kid is a kid named Keon Broxton, who was also acquired in the offseason. He from the Pittsburgh organization. Another kid, Ramon Flores, claimed by the Yankees. And you have Kurt uh, Neuenheis and then Brett Phillips, who's probably a year away, Eric Young Jr., and Shane Peterson. These are all guys that are going to be competing for that center field spot. And uh, 
on paper, there's not a whole lot there yet because there's a lot of unproven. But all you need, and this is why I love the, the phrase due diligence, all you need is of, of Flores, Broxton, and Liriano, if one of them becomes a legit major leaguer, what a great offseason it was for Stearns, the new, uh, the new general manager. Because you went out and you found guys that were high prospects. Ciccini, a high prospect for Boston, who had a, a bad season and, and found his way on waivers and got claimed by the Brewers. That's what you do. You find guys who were high enough to be drafted high, who were top farmhands and, and top prospects, and the team gave up on them, and these guys are still under the age of 25, some of them 23, 24. Why not take the chance on them? So I'll be interested to see what happens at center field. Now, how this trade's going to play out, like I said, you know, Anderson's a decent back-of-the-rotation guy, and it makes you wonder about the rotation now because somebody's the odd man out now. Because Anderson likely starts, so what ends up happening is you, you, it's probably going to be Peralta, Nelson, Garza, Youngman, and Anderson, which means Zach Davies becomes either a minor leaguer or a lawn reliever. Likely they'll send him down so he can continue to get uh, get innings. So that's uh, that's how I see uh, that trade and how the ripples of that trade. Again, Chichini's hurt by it. Um, but it doesn't really affect anybody else. At shortstop, it gives Jonathan Villar a chance to play for a couple weeks until they're ready to make a move and, and make a change. And let's just, I mean, look at this roster, too. It's uh, its quite a different roster. If I'm not mistaken, I heard on radio, uh, with, with nine, was it, out of the 40-man roster, like 19 are new players on that roster, on that 40-man mm-hmm. roster. Uh Overall, with this remake, I know we haven't had a chance to talk too much about it. And there'll uh, be more, because I I still think Davis or Lucroy, one of those, will, I still think will get dealt before the season starts. And if Lucroy would have had a good year last year, he probably would have been dealt already, as opposed to being dealt at the All-Star break. But anyway, sorry. I just, well, well, no, let's stay on the topic then. Let's, let's stay on the topic about Lucroy. Obviously, he has a year left in his contract, aside from this season. What can could the Brewers fetch for him? in your opinion, and uh, in, in, in what should they get for Luke Roy? Well, if, again, if Luke Roy would have, wouldn't have been hurt last year and there wouldn't have been questions, uh, Texas is one of the suitors, let's say. Well, Gallo, the third baseman, would have been who I'd be asked for. The Brewers need to ask for a lot. Yes, it makes sense to trade Luke Roy because you're rebuilding. Yes, Lucre wants to play for a winner, and yes, Lucre is the guy who will get you the most in return. But you can't give him away. You can't just go, well, yeah, you know, we want to trade him, so yeah, just give me, like, some middling prospects. The Brewers have to stay, because they still could, they, it doesn't hurt the Brewers to keep Lucroy because he still has a favorable contract, and he can help this young pitching staff. So if if some team wants to lowball you for Lucroy, then you don't trade him. You know, there's nothing that says that he has to get dealt just because somebody comes knocking on the door. So... Well, what they should get is a somebody's top prospect at a position of need. You know, look at the Brewers' depth. Do they need a third baseman? Do they need a center fielder? Do they need a first baseman? Because I still think, because Chris Carter was signed for the one year, I still think Santana, in my mind, projects to a first baseman, but we'll see. But do they need a first baseman? What is it that they need? And that's when you can start determining, okay, what would we trade them for? What makes sense? Um, what helps us the most? Because when it comes to trading a guy like Luke Croy and even Chris Davis, who you know I think has some really good upside, but 
nobody in the new regime is married to him because they didn't draft him, and they have a, a dearth of outfielders in the minors that are going to be coming up soon. So you got to make room somewhere. That being said, they're still dealing in a position of strength. You want Jonathan Lucroy? You want one of the top offensive catchers in baseball? Then you're going to pay you're going to pay dearly for him before we just decide to give him up. With that, it's with this team and and did you get a chance to go to Brewers on deck by any chance? Were you guys able to head out I there did. this year? Yeah, yeah. I, I How did. was it? I, did. I made it. Fun. It was a lot of fun. It wasn't as, a, as crowded as it's been in the years. It was a lot of fun, a lot of cool interactive things. The games they play, like the Brewerywood game and Brewer Jeopardy and Brewer Family Feud, and uh, they did a lip sync battle. But it was it was weird in a couple of ways. Okay, so Garza was there, and Braun was there, Brett Phillips was there, um, some some of the old timers, Greg Vaughn and whatnot. But I saw it a week earlier, and we talk about trade, right? We talk about Davis perhaps being traded. We talk about Luke Croy being traded, right? Well, neither one of them was at Brewers on deck. And it wasn't because they needed a, a visa to come in from Venezuela because they both live in the States. I found it weird a couple weeks prior to the event that they weren't listed as attendees, which tells you that the team is actively shopping both of those guys. Because what other reason would you not have Lucroy, arguably your most popular player, there at Brewers on Deck when you're trying to get people interested and fired up and, and getting them to want to come out to the to the event? Like, what sense does it make to not to not do that? Right. All right. No, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, they're pretty calculated, you know. In that, I wish I was able to get that out there. I heard it was just a really good time. I just heard that they they did it was really. Fun. It was fun. But obviously then, as well, they don't actually have, I mean, there wasn't that much going on. So it's, uh, or, you know, the names, they're trying to get teams familiar and whatnot. Uh, another move, too, uh, looks like Shane Peterson uh, as well changed, uh, or, you know, he, uh, they designated him for assignment last week. He cleared waivers, and uh, he'll be one of, at least, according to Brewers.com, 12 center fielders in camp. Uh, yeah, that's what we're going to talk, yeah. Yeah, 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 there's going to be a race there. And, you know, it could be 12 miserable pieces of, of waste, or it could be a situation where four or five of these guys really have good camps, and you go, oh, my God, who do we pick? Obviously, you'd re- you'd prefer the, the, that over the former, but you never know when you've got a lot of unproven, I mean, even Peterson, unproven, Santana. There's not a proven center fielder out there. There's some guys with some major league experience, like Kurt Neuenheis, but there's nobody there's nobody who goes, oh, we're glad we have him. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to get some gold that, that comes out of that group and you go, wow, we, we, I, didn't, I didn't know what we had here when we picked him up. So uh, so that that's going to make it really interesting is, you know, to watch that battle. And, again, watch the third base battle because Aaron Hill penciled in as a starter. But what if Ciccini or Will Middlebrooks or some of these other guys just push them to the point where it's like, wow, we can't, we've got to give this guy a shot. Um, and does that mean that Hill plays more second base at the expense of Scooter Jeanette? I, who knows? And then obviously every camp it's like this, especially this year, the pitchers. Do they take the next step, these young guys? I mean, Segura took a step back last year. I'm sorry, Peralta took a step back last year. Does he regain some of that? Does Jimmy Nelson continue to move forward? 
So as Matt Garza bounced back, and really they need him to. I mean, whether people are mad at him because he took his ball and went home, literally and figuratively, fine, be mad at him. But they need him. He's on his team until they he, he can prove that he's tradable. So you want him to succeed. Uh, Chase Anderson's a decent fly ball pitcher, but so is Chase Field. I, I figure he'll still be right around the fours for ERA. Uh, Youngman, what a good season he had out of nowhere. Does he keep it up? You know, so watching the young pitchers and, and more importantly watching them grow because you can't really judge them on wins and losses. They could lose 100 games. They could lose 85 games, but they're likely not going to compete for anything. But you want to see them take the next steps. When you're rebuilding, it's okay to not win, but you want to see the improvement from the players that you're banking your future on. You know, it doesn't matter if Chris Carter has a bad year because he's not part of the future on this team. It doesn't matter, uh, perhaps, um, if, uh, well, the bullpen's still pretty young. But it's for certain guys, it doesn't matter. But if they're core pieces to this rebuild, those are the people you want to see improvement from. And at the end of it, go, yeah, wow, I've seen some flashes. Yeah, we only won 68 games. But, you know, I'll tell you, Will Smith emerged as a closer and, uh Tyler Cravey looked good when we needed him, and Youngman took the next step. And boy, I'll tell you what, the Zach Davies looked really good when we needed. Him. I mean, those are the things you want to see happen. And then the call-ups. If you call up a Brett Phillips, or you call up an Arcia, you hope they get it right away. You hope that you know they don't have those struggles that that then hurt them and mess with their head. You just hope that they become even close. Eighty percent of the players they're projected to be, you hope for, may maybe more. Maybe, so those are the fun things. I hate to use the word fun because losing is not ever fun, but you have to have perspective. You have to know what you're looking for. And what I'd be looking for as a Brewer fan is, like I said, that maturity, the growth, uh, the people, the players taking it to the next level. Is there anything else around uh, baseball uh, that you wanted to touch base on? Uh, I mean, obviously probably starting up uh, with spring training. Probably in the next couple of weeks we could probably – find ourselves a Brewers Insider to kind of preview each position going forward and, and kind of obviously with your 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 info and your your analysis too could be a, a great spring training uh, and baseball preview. Anything else you want to cover? No, but let me let me let me ask you this. Uh even the Brewers last year were a disappointment and they had the collapse the year before, but there was there weren't very many position battles the last 5 years. There really weren't. I mean, you know, wanted to see where Scooter Jeanette was going to fit in. But look at last year when we broke camp, the Brewers broke camp. Your first baseman was Adam Lind, and nobody expected anything different. Aramis Ramirez was your third baseman. Segura was your shortstop. Your outfield was Gomez, Davis, and Braun. There weren't – Lou Croy is your catcher, again, barring injury. So there weren't a whole lot of um, situations where you went, oh, boy, who's going to win this position battle? Who's going to win that position? Because there were no position battles. You know, maybe the back of the rotation, but we pretty much even knew who that, you know, Loesch was going to be the number one and Garza the two and Peralta the three and, you know. So it's it's kind of neat to to be in a situation where it's like there's three positions up for grabs and, and, and maybe more because, again, nobody's married to Aaron Hill or Chris Carter or guys like that. So now – Young players going to camp going, well, I got, not only do I have something to prove, but I got a legitimate shot of cracking this roster and maybe cracking the opening day lineup. Center field's wide open, and center field could lead to other things. If three guys are amazing, 
you know, you, and Chris Davis gets dealt, that could open up two starting spots and a number four spot because you could be the fourth outfielder, you could be the starting left fielder. There's so much that people have to fight for now. And yeah. that, to me, is is the cool part about a team that's in a rebuild if it, if the rebuild's done right. You know, I'm not talking about the, the, the Brewers of the bad 90s Brewers where it wasn't that they had young guys that they were rebuilding around. It was a bunch of old veterans that stunk. They go, oh, well, it's a battle of attrition. Which which Who's the least suckiest of the players at this position in a couple? And don't get me wrong, they had guys like Sexton and they had guys like Jenkins. They had good players, but they didn't have good players at, every, at all nine positions. And it wasn't usually young guys there. It was just middling players that you needed to put on your roster. So it's nice to at least see some battles and knowing that there's some guys, two, three guys that are close to being, you know, months or a year away at worst, Brett Phillips, Arcia, a couple other guys that could contribute right away uh, within, like I said, within anywhere from a month to a year from now. Those are guys that we're going to be talking about as being entrenched as, as potential starters. So, I can't wait for spring training. I still think we're going to have some brewer talk before then because I still think there's going to be a deal done somewhere, a big one, either a Lucroy or a Davis. But uh, but we'll see. But other than that, we'll we'll save it. It'll be it'll be spring training soon, and, and we'll have a lot of uh, a lot of baseball talk and a lot of major league talk, and hopefully a lot of positive brewer talk as well. And coming up next week, too, we're going to try to have our Bucks insider stopping on. We'll tell you more about that next week uh, as we've signed off our live feed. Uh, we'll let you guys know more about that. It uh, should be a good time uh, talking some Bucks and see possibly any deals on that their end. Uh, what? Uh, and then, uh, obviously, we'll talk some more college basketball, Badgers, Marquette, uh, and see how that you know, what, what comes out of uh, Wisconsin's schedule as they're heading to, you know, towards uh, March, and March Madness coming up soon anyways as well. So uh, that, I'm sure we'll have plenty more to talk about uh, heading forward, uh, you know, for next week uh, once the, you know, we'll discuss the Super Bowl among others. So uh, very excited about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the Badgers, I still think the Badgers have a have a legit shot. Again, they, they have to win games like they did today against Ohio State. If they win one of those meat grinder road games and they don't lose to a team that's below them, I think they do very, very well and get in. Marquette's loss the other day eh, disappointed me a little bit. I, I told you I'm kind of really disappointed in the Marquette team this year. So, But, uh, yeah, I can't wait to, to see those races start to heat up as well. Absolutely. And uh, on that note, guys, we'll wrap up the show. Thank you guys all for listening. And a big thanks again to our sponsor, Rent College Pads. We are a proud part of Bucky's fifth quarter. Make sure you guys check us out again. And just want to thank you guys again for all uh, tuning in to the National Signing Day coverage that we had on Bucky's fifth quarter. Huge numbers, uh, a lot of traffic, and one of the best SB Nation sites out there. And we appreciate you guys again for checking out all our profiles, our analysis, and uh, looking forward to, of course, talking more Wisconsin football uh, and hopefully some former players along with some current ones coming up during spring football on that note. So thank you all for that. And on that note, we will take you guys first. We'll just talk with Mickey Turner, the Wisconsin Badgers tight ends coach, former Badgers tight end coach, uh, former Badgers tight end, I should say, uh, talking about Jake Hescock and uh, the uh, recruit out of Connecticut. 
and then we'll also then break it down and discuss uh, on that note uh, with uh, we'll end it with Justin Wilcox, the Wisconsin Badgers defensive coordinator. Guys, take care. Have a wonderful weekend ahead. For the Polish Rifle, Scott Wisniewski, this is Jay Kokorowski. Thanks again for listening to the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. We're here with uh, tight ends coach Mickey Turner. How, obviously, a uh, big day, and you get one kid out of Connecticut, Jake Hescott. What do you like about his skill set? Jake, I mean, right off the bat, he's, he's a big kid. Um, just looking at the numbers, you go, okay, 6'6", six, six, uh, 230, 240 pounds. There's definitely something you like about that. But I think what stuck most about Jake is his athletic ability. Um, he's playing defensive end. He's picking the ball off in stride and taking it for a touchdown. There's a lot of things that, as we got to know more about him, it only reaffirmed what we already felt. Um, and, and even his, his personality, he's student body president at his school. Um, he's a kid that, yeah, he's, he, I think he'll fit in naturally here because he loves hunting, he loves fishing, he loves skiing. Like he, He's kind of a Wisconsin kid born and bred. He just happens to be from a different state. Um, but a lot of those things came after we had already evaluated him as an athlete. And so you liked all that. That's what kind of makes Wisconsin special is, yeah, we, we like to get good players in here, but if they're good fits as people, then they have a chance to be really successful. And in terms of him, I mean, he's a big body, obviously, 6'6", 6'7", type of body. Oh, yeah. uh, how long does it take, you know, you've been performing tight end yourself, how long does it take to really mature that body, especially when earning playing time? And, of course, there's always Troy and Kyle and right. Eric also in front of them, among others. Um, how... How do you expect the maturation process for a player that's already pretty built, but uh, there's a, the college level? The, no, you, that's a good point because there's a lot of factors that go into it, and especially at our level, I think the closer you get to the middle of the pack in terms of O-line and D-line, the longer it takes or the higher the expectations are of what's his strength level really at and, and really his endurance. You know, I mean, you don't want to put a kid out there that's going to get banged around and get hurt. That's a disservice to him. He's got to have a little bit of a bulk some maturity to handle the, the physicality of the play in the Big Ten. Um, and so tight end kind of that next level, next to the O-line, where you got to be a little bit of <laughs> weight on you to, to handle the position. Um, the good thing for Jake is his school does a really good job in their training. So I got a chance to watch him work out and see him move around. And he does a lot of things naturally. He's, he's been in the weight room for a while. It, it does, that comes pretty comfortable to his skill set. So that's a good thing that he has going for him. Um, but, you know, you might have another guy down the road or in another position that needs time in the weight room. So we're kind of at a good position right now where I think we have the luxury of waiting and seeing how guys turn out where we don't have to demand like, hey, no matter where you're at, you got to go. Um, so Jake's got that, you know, kind of a good chip on his shoulder to have. And with that, obviously with recruiting and, and the last month always crazy for the recruiting cycle, did, did you have a lot of frequent fly, flyer miles on your last statement? Is there, is there a lot? How much, how much did you travel? And, and no, yeah. Um, I think, and especially, it's something that being one of the younger guys on the staff, I'm always eager to learn new areas of the country. Um, so guys like Coach Rudolph and, and uh, Coach Chris, obviously, have been in the profession a while where they've seen a lot of different um, regions, right? And and I, I have mine that I'm kind of comfortable with, but if there's a chance to go see a kid out in Colorado or a kid in, I went to South Dakota in the spring, um, instead of viewing that as a nuisance, I kind of see it as an opportunity. Like, okay, this is one more area I can learn about. Because when it comes down to it, if, if the families and the coaches in that area are comfortable with you and your school and trust you, which obviously we're from Wisconsin, we think it's a pretty great place, but some places, 
people don't know that. They want to they want to get to know it a little more. So if I can push that and say, hey, we are everything that's advertised, that's where you build it. So I'm, I'm still trying to do that in a lot of places, but, but I think getting a chance to go on the road as much as I do and, and build as many frequent flyers miles as I have um, helps out. I think it's all the relationships that you, de- you develop and it's being thorough in your evaluations and you know understanding uh, what a, you're looking for as a program and as a team and what they're looking for and it's all about the same. We're going to, that'll be de- determined in the short term. There's a couple dynamics at play but it'll be settled very soon. I don't know what signing day was like at SC, but you've got obviously been a couple of few different stops. Just curious to get your take on what signing day has become, sort of yeah. how it's turned into. That's a great like a balance with. It's a great, you know, that's a that's a psychological essay, probably. You know, that's a great question because it has changed dramatically in my years coaching. It's uh, the exposure to recruiting has changed significantly with. You know, the interest, obviously, in football, but also the, the media, the way the media is, you know, the Internet age. And so, like, it's become more about the – it needs to be, you know, you want it to be more about the players. So I just – it's just changed, you know. It's the rankings and all that stuff. And I think what's probably – hopefully the focus can be – on those guys, mm-hmm. it's, it's about the players. Let me see. I don't know if you saw what Harbaugh did at Michigan today. Apparently, it was some big show yeah. put on. But I'm just curious about you as a recruiter and coordinator, where that's taking the this day, the sport. Do you see that being just one time? I think thing it's just. Flash? Yeah, I think everybody's got their own way of doing it, mm-hmm. and it's uh, kind of what's. You see fit for the you know what Coach Chris sees fit for the program, but uh, I think everybody has their own way, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't think there's a right or wrong. It's just people have different ways to go about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You are. Mm-hmm. How? Uh, How? In terms of obviously just being the announced coordinator. How? In terms of looking at your the recruits that are that are coming. Yeah. How? How? Hard was it to acclimate, or even just to kind of look at them all and, and kind of yeah, talk about? You mean like just? Yeah, kind of getting adjusted to well, the job, and then all of a sudden, you know, yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, being supportive in whatever way I could, and really, it was just it was so late in the process. Uh, had one home visit, and then phone calls with all the guys, and just I got a chance to watch them all, and excited as a, a good group of guys. Um, Good football players, you know. Obviously, Coach Chris and the staff did a phenomenal job of putting that group together that, that fits uh, what's best for the program, and that's what's most important. And then having a chance to, to talk, I talked to most every guy. A couple guys we missed each other, but uh, it was, yeah, that, it, it was a unique kind of timing. So was that one home visit down to Arizona? Yeah. And, uh, and is there anything in terms of just that? What he had asked, or anything in terms of. I think it was just you know questions that come up in times of transition like that. So we had a good visit, and I had uh, some history with Garrett just from I mean even a couple of years ago, uh, watching. I've seen him practice when he was a sophomore. He came to our camp, so he and I had met his dad uh, at our camp the, the year before. So I think it was just a conversation that needed to be had for him and his family, and uh, it wasn't again it wasn't going in with. Uh, with a salesman, it was just let's go have a talk and make sure everybody feels good. And when everybody left, it was a good conversation. 